Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Do you have a plan for your business or home in a disaster? Where I live in Tampa, Florida, we just had another close call with a major hurricane. And one of the things that was so impressive was all the planning that went into place in Tampa, St. Pete, and all the areas around here. There was a plan in place for getting people to emergency shelters, rescuing people after the storm passed, and restoring power as quickly as possible. Now, while there was clearly an area-wide plan, how many individuals and small businesses do you think had the same level of planning? My guest today is Terry Richards. Terry is a disaster management expert, and she's using her knowledge and experience to help small business owners with developing preparedness and continuity plans. But what she teaches them is important information for all of us to learn. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Your home is probably your biggest investment, and every week we show you warning signs and solutions to help you protect it. Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. It looks like you're going somewhere. Where You're out and about today, huh? I'm out and about because of my job in emergency management consulting. I am on the road a lot. <laughs> okay, tell us about what you do. You have some impressive credentials in uh, emergency preparedness, helping businesses and families. And so tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, we hear a lot on in the media about the increasing number of disasters and and the impact that they're having on businesses and families and and people in general and my goal is to get out there and teach people how to um, prepare for those disasters how to mitigate some of those things that could be happening and with businesses how to get them uh, back up and running as quickly as possible following a disaster so they are losing less revenue now I like to focus a lot of my podcast focuses on, on homeowners but businesses are a huge part of the community. I remember last year with Hurricane Ian, um, there are scenarios that if Ian had hit here, that up to 60% of the businesses would have been uninhabitable and badly damaged by the hurricane. So businesses need to take this really seriously, don't they? They absolutely do, because a lot of times, especially small businesses, because um, after a disaster, those are the primary companies that end up shutting down because the losses are so great. They just don't have the insurance or the capacity to fix everything and start back up again. And by having these plans in place um, and knowing how to respond in the emergencies and then how to get themselves up and running to keep that revenue coming in as quickly as possible can help mitigate those losses of small businesses that really help build the foundation of our economy. Whenever a disaster comes through, we always seem to see the, the coastal damage. That's where the media is showing the houses that were damaged. But when a business is destroyed, the effects of that can be pretty far reaching, can't they? It's more than just the business owner. It's everybody that worked there, everybody that went there. Exactly. It's um, the employees, the customers, the, uh, the local economy that that business fed. Um, and the repercussions aren't short term. Like when you're talking about a family, they lose their home. If they have insurance, the insurance company comes in and helps them to rebuild. And 
It takes a few months, but they're given a place to stay temporarily, generally. Um, and they get to go back, you know, go back to work and they keep to get to keep moving forward with their life. But when you're talking about a small business, you're not just impacting that one area. Now you have a bunch of people that are suddenly finding themselves unemployed and they may have had damage on top of now they no longer have a job. So it has a cascading effect um, that often we don't see talked about in disasters. We, we, right. we generally, through the media, we generally get to see the, um, the, the shock and awe criteria. We'll, we'll, bring up the uh, Lahana fires in Maui and everyone's talking about, you know, look at these homes, how they've been destroyed, you know, look at what this wildfire did and nobody's really talking about the people. Nobody's really talking about the direct impact to these people. A lot of them have been priced out of their homes they may never be able to rebuild. And then you have predatory um, investors that are coming in and already trying to buy the property off of these folks, um, you know, two days after a major disaster where they may have not only suffered the loss of their home, but the loss of family members. And, and they're being targeted by, by these people. And there's no one really to stand there and represent them. And we saw a lot of that in my documentary film, The Last House Standing. We went to Panama City and Mexico Beach, and people do swoop in and try to get stuff for pennies on the dollar, taking advantage of, of victims. So they're really just, they're hit twice, once by the disaster, and then once after that by people just trying to rip them off. And, and it's not even once. I mean, it'll it'll be more than one investor, and they're very... Tenacious. That's unfortunate. I, I hate to hear that. Now, we also saw in Mexico Beach, too, when a, when a resort has a problem, all the people that worked there probably didn't live by the beach. They might have been a mile or two inland, maybe a little further. And there's a lot of damage away from the center that is in the spotlight that is never talked about either. Those people's lives are, are, are affected potentially with their job and, and their the place they were living. And, and that's true. We like you were saying before, we often see the uh, point of impact for a hurricane, let's say, um, where the eye made landfall or just to the east of that eye wall where the winds are heaviest, but they don't really talk about the inland flooding and the tornadoes that are spawned off of that hurricane that do damage much farther away from the center of the storm. Um occasionally in like your local media they'll, they'll talk about specific areas but in mainstream media uh and national media you just you don't really hear about that and and the way our society is growing is it's a topic for 15 minutes and then they moved on to they're moving on to the next thing so people aren't really getting the attention and the services and um you know, the funding is not, with so many disasters happening, the funding is drying up. Um, we'll go back to Lahai, the people in, uh, in Maui. and They are crowdfunding on social media and producing groups that where somebody's house was, sta was still standing after the fire. They're, 
They're housing multiple families. They're feeding. They're going out and providing their own food, water, and resources because they aren't getting them. That's a whole other issue is if we have all these resources that can't get to people for whatever reason, we've got a group of people here are, who are extremely resilient. They should be a tremendous example to the rest of us on how to, br- how to come together as a community and make things happen. And then people have to be extra aware when you're donating money to a tragedy like that. You want to make sure the money's getting where uh, where it's intended to go. So many people have visited there that that are touched by what happened. Uh, but it is unfortunate once you become a victim. So certainly in a situation like that, when you're talking about preparedness, I would think in Hawaii, they're prepared for hurricanes. They're prepared for potential flooding from rain. And possibly tsunamis because they get tsunami warnings from from earthquakes. They're probably or volcanoes, but I don't know that they could have prepared for this. What could they have done to even have had a thought that this could happen? So actually, wildfires are a consideration there because the Hawaiian Islands are volcanic and they're active. And typically, your wildfires would be triggered by a lava flow or a, a, an ash plume um, with sparks that are generated. This one is a little bit unusual because not only it's a disaster within a disaster. So not only were they experiencing wildfire situations, which they haven't really determined the cause of, but then they have hurricane force winds that are feeding that fire. And if it's been abnormally dry, then that's just an added condition. So while they could have they should have plans for wildfires just from a volcanic activity scenario. This one might've had an extra push with a, a, with a hurricane feeding, fanning the flames. Now, as we're seeing, I was uh, looking at the weather this morning and the tropics are heating up. There's a potential hurricane tropical storm that could affect Southern California. That will have happened by the time this podcast airs one way or the other. But it's going to be a very active next several months. What can we give people as a thought process about what they should be doing from a preparedness standpoint? Anytime that you enter a season, whether it's a wildfire season or hurricane season, winter storm season, there's just a set of steps that should be followed. Um, you know, general preparedness things that can help make... Um, an incident easier. And I'm not talking about the prepper side of things. You know, I'm not talking about stockpiling your kitchen for a year and a half or, or anything like that. I'm talking about simple things that you can do. It, when you're in the store, if you have the capacity, buy a couple of extra cans of canned vegetables. Um, don't run out and buy bread, milk, and eggs, unless you plan on eating French toast when the power goes out. Um, <laughs> I, that's my that's my joke. It's a French toast effect. You everything but the bread requires refrigeration, but that's what gets cleaned out of the shelves. The first thing there's anytime there's a preparation for a disaster. That's not what you need to buy. You need to buy those canned goods, those shelf stable items. Have a case of water on hand, and really be able to sustain yourself for um, at least three days. I mean, that is the absolute minimum. 
And we talk about things like, you know, it's one gallon of water per person. So I, when my children were younger, we had seven people. That's a lot of water. That's a fill the bathtub up. Yeah. And use that for your for your drinking water. Scrub the bathtub, fill it up with water. Because trying to to have uh, what ten cases of water on hand all the time that's a little bit extreme. But there are other ways to do things and and simple things. In a windstorm, you know, make sure that you've got debris that could be picked up and and thrown from your deck or whatever. Take it down, put it away. Um, in a blizzard, in a snowstorm, you know, if you're up north and, you, and it gets cold enough, make sure your your vehicle is plugged in so that your battery's charged. So if you need to get somewhere or you need to go outside and use your, your vehicle to charge your cell phones because the, the power's out for a while, that that those things are done and and that you are ready for, you know, the impact. And Unfortunately, we can't be absolutely ready for the most crazy scenario, but just the little things that you can do to make sure that you can sustain yourself for um, three to five days before resources are opening back up again. Th those are things that can be done and they don't have and, and it doesn't have to be really expensive. Does it frustrate you when you you watch news coverage as a storm is approaching or as an impending disaster is moving in and there's long lines of people now doing everything at the last minute. Like we seem to be a society that goes, it's not going to happen to us. Oh my God, it could happen to us. Now we need to do something. I mean, there's just overall, there's always such a lackadaisical approach until the very last minute. So we are very much a reactive society and there needs to be a, a lot of effort from the, the base individual up to our big corporations in being proactive. We know we keep getting told and we've seen that the disasters are getting more intense. They're, become, they're coming more frequently. And we have other considerations long term, you know, glacial melting. So the oceans are rising. So areas that we've built up on barrier islands or right up on the beach um, could be underwater in the next 10 years. And, and we have to really start looking forward and being more proactive in how we respond to things rather than running and buying your, um, your gas at the last minute. But with a hurricane, we have notifications up to three days out we start standing you know states and counties start standing up operations three to five days out they start moving those resources around so there's no reason that people can't go hey you know we might need to evacuate in three days i better top off my car so that we don't have that massive run on resources 24 hours before something happens people also need a better awareness of where they're living. I know on Sanibel Island in Captiva, there's one road that was out of that place. If you wait too long to evacuate, you might never get out. Sometimes it's better to be cautious and have left too early than to wait and go too late. I agree with that. There are a lot of coastal highways that are washed out during storms. And if you have a particularly strong storm, that road overwash can start two or three days before the actual storm makes impact 
And it might be a whole lot harder to evacuate um, if your vehicle can't handle those obstacles or if you have an extremely high storm surge and um, it's already taken the road out before somebody goes, oh, we need to evacuate. And I had a guest on recently. I don't know if you know Barb Payne. Um, she, we were talking about, she's a disaster uh, expert as well. And we were talking about, I mentioned the term disaster etiquette. Um, and I, I don't hear it talked about a lot, but it's actually something that's pretty significant if you think about it. I understand what's going on in Hawaii. It, it, in a crisis, you have to help your neighbors. If you have humanity, you have to, this is the time right. that you're tested to, to do the right thing. But it also points out, what about those people that prepared and have everything and they have what they need for their family and their neighbors chose to do nothing. To me, that's always a tough, there, was, there were Twilight Zone episodes about that. I mean, there's, there's movies about things like that because the worst comes out in people in disasters as well. That is true. The worst comes out in people in disasters and you get a lot of the same type of behavior in disasters that you see with uh, people who are down on their luck, maybe homeless or whatever, and you get the kind of, I did my part, but you didn't do anything, you know, that's your problem. And really in situations like that, again, the, the folks in Hawaii have, have done an amazing thing. They have demonstrated that even if they their house survived, they opened their doors. Um, even if they didn't have enough, they collected what they could get and they shared it with everybody. And that's the kind of attitude that we need to be promoting. If I have food for my family for 14 days and there's 50 people outside my door that are hungry and I feed all of them, all my plans now have changed. Am I wrong for thinking that way? You're not wrong for thinking that way. And, and I'm not saying that if there's 50 people outside your door that you should um, completely give up all your resources for them and not take care of your family. Let's say you have 14 days worth of food and the expectation that the services are going to start coming back online in five days. So maybe you can provide a little bit of food to some of those people. And they can share it between themselves because it, it doesn't benefit anybody to give up all your resources to, to help everyone and then have none for, for your family. There, there's a limit to what you should do, but hoarding everything and saying, you know, you didn't prepare, so that's your problem is not the right direction. That's, that's that me, myself, and I mentality that really um, has just grown so strong in our society that we kind of need to to look past a little bit. Oh, I agree. I, I think it's a real, there's, a, there's certain times you get tested in life and how you're going to help other people. You know, if you're on a plane, are you helping other passengers out? Or are you just getting out yourself? You know, there's so many disasters in a fire. Are you helping get other people out of the, the building? I don't know if you ever saw the Seinfeld episode where George was in the fire at the kids' party. And he was knocking over old people and kids to get out. Um, you know, disasters kind of define who you are in a way. They do. And you see all kinds of people in disasters. Um, I've been on a number of responses. And one person 
will be kind and generous and helpful and you go down the block and you're met with a shotgun. You know, it just, it really depends on the attitude of the individual um, and, and how they want to present themselves. But really, as a society, if we're going to get through this, if we're going to get through this next scenario and adapt to the changes in our climate and to how um, the planet responds to those, then we're going to have to be more community and less me, myself, and I, less individual. Now, in the, the last House Standing, we interviewed the mayor of Malibu after the Woolsey fire in 2018. Mm-hmm. And he said with disasters that happen there, people have short memories. Now, obviously, if your house is destroyed and, it, and your life is upended, but it's the people who don't have damage in that disaster, but kind of got lucky. Do you sense people then take it more seriously next time? Or do they have that attitude? It's like you're driving down the road, you almost get in an accident. So for the next five minutes, you're really paying attention. And then you go back to blasting the radio, putting your uh, phone in your hand. I mean, what, what, how do you think people tend to react? We have, as, as a species, we have a very short memory and we don't tend to learn our lessons very effectively. So we have a category four hurricane or we have a massive wildfire and we're spared. And the lesson that typically is learned is, oh, okay, well, we've got a hurricane. Or that wildfire, yeah, it burned it, it burned this direction, so it's not going to come and hit my house. Or the hurricane, you know, it's going to go past me and it's just going to bring some rain and a little bit of wind, but I'm not really going to get impacted from it, so I don't need to. Um, or one of the other um, ideologies I see is the talk to the hand. It's not my problem. And we really just have to to get get around those and and really educate people that it is your problem and you do need to be prepared. And even though you're not impacted this time, that's still a potential risk in your area. And maybe you didn't get impacted this time, but the next time, if you're not prepared, then it might be a whole lot worse. And there are things that, I mean, for some, it's probably too late. If there's a storm heading your way, you're not getting flood insurance at the last minute. But you can no. certainly make sure you have homeowner's insurance. You can certainly make sure you have an evacuation plan. I mean, there's something everybody can do to at least be better off than they would be if they did nothing. Absolutely. You know, and um, one of the things that we're running into now is insurance companies are starting to leave states with high impact. We've seen that in Florida, where a lot of the homeowners insurance companies have left the state because the same properties just keep getting hit again and again and again, and they're losing money. So they're cutting their losses, if you will. But that doesn't help benefit the people that are still living there. Oh, yeah. we see that. We see that with it's it's tough to get homeowners insurance here. It's tough to get car insurance here in Florida. Um, it is a very challenging situation in that industry. You know, it's almost a false sense of security because their goal is not to pay you if you make a claim. Right. And if you do make a claim, you're not going to be a customer much longer because then they're going to get rid of you anyway. So insurance can be a last resort, but the preparation. So hopefully you don't need it is almost as important. 
That's true. It is. The more you do ahead of time to prevent or to mitigate damage, um, the better off you're going to be. There is no absolute in that. It's not, if I make these preparations, then nothing's going to happen. That just, reality doesn't work that way. <laughs> but if you do as much as you can, you can, the, the probability of reducing the damage is much greater than if you do nothing at all. Yeah, I mean, the mindset people really need to have is if I do all that to prepare, I do all that stuff and nothing bad happens. I didn't waste my time. You don't, you can't look and go, I didn't use my insurance last year. I think I'm going to cancel it this year because that's <laughs> when you're going to get nailed. Yes, absolutely. That, that, that is like the, what were you thinking moment? Um, and you're right. That attitude, that shift in attitude is like, I did all of this. I'm prepared and I don't have a lot of damage. So I have done the, the outlook is, if I do this every time there's a storm that comes through, then I am less likely to be significantly impacted instead of, um, well, I did this stuff and nothing happened, so I don't need to worry about it. And unfortunately, that's kind of the direction it tends to go. Yeah, I used to be a TV weathercaster. And one of the things that was one of the worst situations is early in hurricane season when we would tell people they needed to evacuate and the storm would miss us. The next time they were like, Hey, you told us last time and it was wrong. So you're going to be wrong again. People can't think that way, can they? No, they really can't. They have to understand that weather in particular has a mind of its own. And you may have a storm that's headed straight for you three days from now. And a frontal system comes through and kicks it to the curb. And it came out of nowhere or it, the wind shifted and it changed its direction. But if you look at it like, you know, well, it didn't happen the last time, so it won't happen this time, you're going to end up getting caught with your proverbial pants down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no question. And I think it's going to be a wild next several months, um, not only with hurricanes in coastal areas, but potential with all the the rain they had during the winter in California, they're ripe for some potential fire damage there again. I mean, we're going to have to be on our guard here. For, it's going to be a wild next several months, isn't it? It is going to be a wild next several months, especially since um, the Atlantic current is so much warmer than it has been. And, and doing meteorology, you, you would understand this, that, you know, you know, with your background, you understand that the warm water that that feeds that circulation and the cooler the water is, the less likely the storm sort of strengthen. But when you have water temperatures off the coast that are 98 degrees, that's just right for anything that comes into that current to just explode with growth. Absolutely. One of my guests was saying what we have to be fearful of is a storm that stalls and then just feeds off of that warm water. And we could just get pounded by that, uh, especially here in Florida and along the Gulf Coast. So it's going to be a heads up time. So any last words of wisdom you have for people, something that they can use to take into this uh, next several months that everybody should be thinking about? So everybody should understand that we cannot predict exactly what the weather is going to do 
And the best thing you can do is be prepared for the unexpected. Great advice. And as always, hopefully people will take that to heart because when you see victims afterwards and the state and how their lives change, you never want to end up like that. You, you really don't. And, and the best way to, the best way to mitigate that is to do that, that preparedness ahead of time and be more proactive than reactive. All right, Terry, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. I'm sorry about the uh, heat emergency <laughs> that cut off our call. Hey, but, stuff happens. Um, what are you going to do? It, you know, it does. And so I turned my truck back on and I cooled off my phone with the air conditioning. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. All of Terry's contact information is in the show notes. If you have a storm story or a building or remodeling story with a good outcome or a bad outcome, I'd love to have you share it with me. There's a contact form in the show notes. Fill it out. And who knows, you might be featured on a future podcast episode. Thank you for joining me today. See you next time.